what Dr. King dared to believe is, is that he dared to believe in the greatness of this nation. He defined that greatness in the I have a dream speech, right? And it has to do with justice, freedom, and dignity. He dared to believe that we were great enough to do things like border security and treat people with dignity who are asylum seekers. He, he dreamed to think we could walk and chew bubble gum at the same time, right? That is the measure of a great nation. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm Melissa Rao, your host, and this is a conversation inspired by Four Faith, a weekly devotion sent out every Friday. You can find a link to this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe in the episode's description. How's it going today, Bishop? Morning, morning. Doing well, thanks. Today, uh, we are discussing your devotion that you did in honor of uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah. Who we will be celebrating on Monday, the 15th, I think, right? Yeah, his actual birthday, yeah. Yeah, you called the devotion more than a dream. Yes. Which I really appreciate um, because Dr. King didn't just have a dream, or perhaps he did, a big, bold dream, but it certainly wasn't dreamy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, <clears throat> I think that the temptation has been... Uh, since 1963, uh, to to only talk about the last couple of minutes of the sermon mm. and not talk about the substance of the dream. So it's more than a dream. And what concerns me, frankly, is is that uh, you know when our prophets are dead a while, then people start re you know, inscribing their sort of vagrant thoughts on top of these prophets. And and I, here's where I want to be more of a literalist. First time you'll ever hear me say this. I want to be more of a literalist. Uh, I want to actually uh, look at the words that he wrote that led up to that final poetic flourish that has captured our imagination for, you know, almost 60 some odd years or 61 years. Um, so what is the substance of the dream? And uh, and I think that's what we want. We need to talk about because that's the timeless piece Right, we don't we don't have to be asleep, uh, you know, to sort of catch this vision. In fact, if if it was in fact a dream for him, you know, I'm more concerned, you know, what he did when the alarm went off in the morning, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, it's about bringing dreams to life, manifesting. We're in a season of epiphany in the Episcopal Church. So, what was the manifestation of the dream? And I think that's that's where the rubber hits the road. So, Bishop, in your estimation, I'm. I'm wondering if you can share some of the trap that we've fallen into in reducing his words. Like, how does that, how has that lived out? Can you be a bit more specific? I'll try. I mean, I I think it's a very human thing um, to round off the edges of, uh, of our, of our men and women who have, who have come uh, and, and brought, uh, you know, a clean, crisp word from God about dignity and justice and freedom uh, and equity. Um, you know, those messages are hard to square with the status quo. I mean, we do it with Jesus, right? God made us in God's image, and then we turn around and return the favor to God and start making God in our image, you know? So Jesus has been dead 2,000 years ago. And so like Thomas Jefferson, we take the parts of the gospel we want and, uh, and leave the rest aside. And we do that with Dr. King every year. And so, you know, what he was really talking about was systemic change in this democracy. Um, you know, I think we don't talk about his intellect nearly enough. 
and his deep commitment, deep, deep commitment uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so out of uh, his deep commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ and his profound respect for our republic, uh, you know, he called us to our better selves. He called us to our more whole selves, uh, you know, our ourselves that thirst after justice. And, you know, his eloquence just made it ring in our ears. And, and so, you know, he is to be regarded, continually regarded as someone who loves America and wants, uh, wants the best for America, not only America, but for the world. Uh, you know, I go all over the world. I've traveled all over the world like so many. And, you know, Dr. King's, you know, even though he was a short man in stature, uh, you know, his shadow looms large uh, over lots of places and people point back to him, uh, you know, as someone who found the moral courage uh, to speak power, uh, to speak to power. And so, uh, you know, he continues to, to, to need to be uh, really regarded. It's a shame to me that it, at most of our seminaries, we don't have classes uh, that take us down deep into his work. Um, because down deep into his work, I think there's so many lessons to learn. This son of the South, um, you know, this, uh, this son of the church, uh, this, uh, you know, he was the fourth generation of, uh, of Christian pastors in his family. I mean, he learned everything that he shares with us sitting on the front row of his daddy's church. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it, it strikes me. Uh, I was thinking of Dr. Martin Luther King, and I was thinking of the word segregation that yeah. he did a lot in the civil rights movement to undermine and to overturn. And what I think I love most about uh, about him as his witness and an example to living life is that he was about integration. Yeah. He integrated what he knew of the Bible and of Jesus's life, and he lived it and integrated it in a way that toppled oppression. Well, he did. And, and um, you know, I tell the story all the time. And so perhaps uh, I hope I don't be, I'm not redundant, but, you know, when he goes to Montgomery, uh, you know, to be a pastor, he hasn't finished his dissertation. He's newly married. He's got a, a brand new little baby. Uh, and uh, what they thought they were hiring at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, was uh, you know a sort of a middle middle class uh, young guy, which he was, educated guy, which he was, eloquent, which he was, a wonderful pedigree, which he had, uh, but but someone who would be less active than the former uh, pastor of that congregation. Uh, <laughs> they were looking for someone who was not going to be so confrontational. Uh, with segregation and with lynching and with rape and with inequity in the justice system uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. And so I love the fact that Do- uh, Dr. King represents uh, sort of God's mischievous sense of humor. Uh, there, there, are, there are documents to be read that, that, that give us a sense that they were looking for just a squarely middle-class guy to come and, and, and say, say the nice words and words of comfort uh, and good words uh, to the middle-class black population of Montgomery. Uh, but lo and behold, God had something else in mind. So when he gets in town, uh, you know, this whole idea of desegregating the bus, uh, you know, the bus companies and the bus service uh, was already uh, actually on the ground and alive, and uh, it was already understood to be very dangerous. And so, you know, when the moment comes, actually, Dr. King doesn't step forward to lead the movement. The other people step back, and they feel like, well, let's let this out of out of towner catch all the hell, 
and perhaps even uh, catch his own death. Uh, and, uh, and so he stands and there are lots of, uh, lots of documents and lots to read about, uh, how he really was not, uh, some Christian su- spiritual super athlete, but he was a man who worried about his wife and his family, uh, and who wondered if he had the stuff to do the work that was in front of him. And I think that's one of his best gifts to us is that we we're looking at someone who's flesh and blood, not a perfect man. Um, but someone who took strength from his wife, uh, someone who took strength from his friends, uh, someone who wavered in his faith, uh, someone who cried out to God and wondered where God was in, in all of this, uh, someone who was afraid of his life, uh, someone who even wondered if violence uh, was a better path early on in his ministry. And so here we have a living, breathing sort of a man, uh, you know, Christian, baptized person, struggling with all these ideas uh, in Jesus's ministry, uh, and not the least of which was this nonviolence piece with Gandhi, and really was every day experimenting with these thoughts, and and our nation is better for it. Mm. And we'll be right back after a short break. Hi, listeners. Thank you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People. Welcome back to Four People. Bishop, you highlighted words like urgency, justice, freedom, and dignity sustain King's vision for his vocation, while also being his desperate plea to a nation. Those are big words. Yeah. Uh, And before the break, we were kind of talking about integration, and uh, you kind of highlighted that he was invited to be the preacher man to not rock the boat. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm just curious, what are words like urgency, justice, freedom, and dignity when used properly? How are they boat rockers? Yeah. Well, first of all, those are Dr. King's words. You know, they're in quotation. And so I, I, I lay those words beside, you know, the last couple of minutes of his speech, the I have a dream speech, because that was the substance of the dream. The dream was, is that we've got to urgently be committed right now to justice, freedom, and dignity for all. And, you know, uh, he was saying that that is actually consistent with what we say about ourselves as a nation. These are the words of our founders, uh, even though they themselves missed the mark in so many ways. These are nevertheless the words. And so, uh, you know, what I like to say to preachers is, is that you've got to preach a gospel that is bigger than your life, right? And so Dr. King uh, was highlighting the fact that the founders of this nation uh, use words that were bigger uh, than their lives and their practice. And yet, nevertheless, these are noble truths that we ought to be moving the nation towards. And we realize we've got to stumble uh, you know, forward towards these things. That's why the Constitution has amendments, uh, is because we are thinking and better thinking all, uh, all along. Democracy is evolving on our way to a more perfect union. So these are his words. And he just refuses to believe that a nation as great as ours uh, should continue to live with some of its population, enjoying the very benefits uh, of this nation and the rest of us uh, being kept in, you know, a squalor uh, and poverty uh, and uh, and ignorance. And so these are his words. Now, obviously, um, you know why these words are boat rockers is is because uh, for urgency around the ideas of justice, freedom, and dignity to really flourish, we've got to decide as a nation 
that that's what we want for all of our citizens. We've got to decide that there are going to be no outcasts in this America, that there are going to be opportunities that are equal for all of us. That has not been our history. Dr. King made it more true. And, can, you know, going forward, that work still needs to happen. Uh, and so anytime you put the word justice and freedom and dignity up, that means that some are going to have to give up some of their privilege and others are going to sort of have to level up and to live into that. So uh, you're talking about a reorientation of our status quo and that always gets profits killed. Yeah. Holy cow. That was a big old statement right there, Bishop. (laughs) Always. I mean, always. So why did we kill Jesus? Because his words were inconvenient. That's why. And because we realize that as he gets to preaching, it starts to resonate with the people on the bottom. Yeah. And then the people on the top are trying to accommodate this and it changes life. Well, and right now, I mean, you highlighted a hierarchy, right? And I feel like that's what humans do is put people in places that I don't think God does. And so when we talk about dignity, I think we're talking about worthiness and that we are all worthy and that no, no one person is more worthy than another. And I think we forget that. Well, we forget it and then we don't forget it. We, we, we actually weaponize it. We know what we're mm-hmm. doing. Look, mm-hmm. you know, uh, look, let's stop it, right? System, systems do uh, what the majority of the people want them to do. Yep. Right. And so we haven't forgotten anything. I think that there are uh, some of us who enjoy a lot of benefits of the way the status quo works right now. Um, and, and that's how it how it's going to go until something uh, from the bottom and from the margins, uh, you know, brings forth these ideas in a way that mobilizes lots of people. Look, what was dangerous about Dr. King? was he was mobilizing blacks. He was mobilizing uh, the Jewish community. He was friends with lots of people. Uh, it was interfaith and interdenominational, uh, or rather ecumenical. Um, he was connecting with, uh, with uh, anti-war young people of every color uh, and every socioeconomic uh, sort of background. Um, he was challenging the president uh, on our, uh, you know, our commitment to the Vietnam War. Uh, and so he was destabilizing the union, um, you know, in favor of this other reality uh, where we, we, we forsake militarism uh, and we forsake hatred and segregation and where we share the bounty of this nation, uh, you know, extravagantly with people. And, and that causes some people a great amount of pain. Uh, and, uh, and so they want that stopped. Uh, we forget that Dr. King's longest speech was not the uh, at the March on Washington uh, in 63, but rather it was April 4th, uh, 1967 at the Riverside Church, um, where he uh, challenged uh, America and uh, all of us uh, and those in power uh, to live differently uh, and to and to uh, and he broke ranks. Uh, with uh, with a lot of preachers that, you know, a lot of the Christian community gave him up uh, when he started talking about anti-war. Uh, and uh, he is assassinated one day, I'm sorry, one year to the day of that speech. Uh, I'm not a big cons- uh, conspiracy theorist, but, but one does wonder, um, you know, as long as he's talking about bathrooms and buses, 
he's causing some uncomfort, but he's, as a general matter, safe. But when he goes to the very heart of things, uh, the very heart of our republic, uh, then he becomes, like Jesus, inconvenient and expendable. Mm. Well, you concluded um, with these words. You said, let's, let's let King have the last word here. And I have to say, you have his quote, and I'm going to say it now, and I'm a little embarrassed because I want to talk about it. (laughs) So I don't want to just let it sit there and be a last word uh, because it's big and bold. He said, the whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. And Bishop, I I read that and over and over again, and I thought, gosh, maybe it's one of all three. Is it more of one than the other? Is it a threat, a promise, or a prophecy? I think it's a prophecy. I think what what do prophets do? Uh, prophets uh, have the gift of pattern recognition, mm. and and uh, prophets uh, have some degree of intimacy with the divine. Uh, they love God and they love neighbor, right? Which is the fulfillment uh, of a life with God. And and so to look deeply into now, King was saying, "This is what I see on our horizon." We forget that peace uh, comes. Uh, you know, as a consequence of justice. There, there is no peace that precedes justice, right? So, so when there is justice, I mean, this is the biblical idea of the covenant. When there is justice, then all is well in the land, right? Uh, until justice comes, then we have this very thin veneer of, uh, of convenience and access that we want to call peace. But when people are living in squalor, even in 2024, uh, when the immigrants uh, who are picking our food and sending it to market don't have fresh water or education for their children, uh, but live in the corners of our society, there's no peace, no real peace. And in and, and those of us who happen to have, um, you know, you can't build the walls high enough for this thing to eventually, I mean, it's going to topple eventually. It's going to implode unless we decide that we are really committed to justice and equity for all people. Um, you know, I was saying the other day in a sermon, you know, what, uh, what, what Dr. King dared to believe is, is that he dared to believe in the greatness of this nation. Uh, and he defined that greatness in the I have a dream speech, right? And it has to do with justice, freedom, and dignity. He dared to believe that we were great enough to do things like border security and treat people with dignity who are asylum seekers. He, he dreamed to think we could walk and chew bubble gum at the same time, right? That is the measure of a great nation that extends education, that extends healthcare, that extends all these sorts of things uh, to all of its citizens. And people worry, well, are we talking about a welfare state? Dr. King was never talking about a welfare state. What he was talking about was unfettered access. What he was talking about was a, le- a level playing field. And I still believe that that is the definition of a great nation, right? And so if we are great, right, then we will busy ourselves with these ideas of justice, freedom, and dignity. Uh, If we are not, uh, then uh, heaven help us, uh, that there will be a revolt, and there is a revolt. It's happening right now. Look at the unrest in the nation, Right. And we've got, you know, these uh, political hacks uh, of, of every sort of, uh, you know, on every side uh, who are more uh, interested in gerrymandering and reelection 
than they are in solving problems. Uh, and this is true, and this is true in the red, and this is true in the blue. You know, and to them, uh, Dr. King would say, careful, careful. You are colluding with all of the forces that will destabilize this nation. Oh, wow. <clears throat> I, I have so many questions and so much follow-up. I, I just, I wonder if we need to take it to next week because I'm really, <laughs> I'm, I, honestly, I'm thinking about right and wrong and people's judgment and living in, you know, as, as, as a black and white thinker, which I think I am naturally um, disposed, predisposed to be. And yet I feel like that's, that's the trap is when we can vilify people and make our own preconceived notions about right and wrong. Yeah. Well, look, here's, here's what I would suggest. Um, allow me to do something I don't usually do on the podcast. Allow me to assign some homework. All right. Come on. Uh, so, so uh, I think that uh, what I would like people to do if, if people are up for it is go back and read the entire speech. I have a dream. Uh, and of course, uh, we swoon at the end, the curvaceous slopes of California, the heightening Alleghenies, all of that. We, we swoon and we should. It's, a poet, it's beautiful poetry that captures our imagination and provides us inspiration. But read all the words prior to that. And if you want extra credit on this assignment, uh, <laughs> then read uh, Dr. King's speech at the Riverside Church on April 4th, 1967. And, you know, we've got smart listeners. Let them decide for themselves. Uh, is King a partisan hack? Uh, is he just some sort of, you know, some sort of uh, faint-minded or weak-minded dreamer? Or, or does he have us dead to rights? And is he calling us to a place where there's not condemnation for anybody, but redemption for all if we take action? Hmm. That certainly is a dream. Yeah, more than a dream. More than a dream, (laughs) indeed, indeed. Bishop, thank you so much. And listeners, we're grateful to you for listening to Four People. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week.